Shut up and sit down. Welcome to another episode of the Super Movie Studies Podcast, a show about comic book movies approached from every angle and a community of nerds discussing how fiction relates to nonfiction. I'm your comic book cultured host, Michael Maurer, joined by the movie maestro, and the scientific scholar, Ben Anderson. SMSP is your premier movie discussion podcast. Every week we continue our journey exploring our favorite subject, superhero movies. Every fan sees the movie differently, so we gather some amateur experts to discuss certain aspects of the film. Whether it's money, comic books, music, science, or the depressing reality of film rights when it comes to your favorite characters, SMSP talks about that all in this week's episode. Dr. Reed Richards? Yes? We're here to escort you to debriefing. I have a jet waiting about two clicks from here. Hey. I'd just like to gather your... <laughs> hey, get, get, get down! Get down! Oh. Hey, what's going on? No, he's with my crew! Oh, wow. Ben? What? What do you guys look... unreleased film fantastic and 1994 i think it's referred to as roger corman's fantastic four uh that's, that's interesting considering he was only like a producer of this and not a writer or a director no or... yeah i know he was one of two executive producers um but like his it's i think it's considered it's his name on the title because out of everyone roger corman had the most star power <laughs> That is, Let that soak in. Yes. <laughs> Let that soak in. Like, dude that made Attack of the Crab Monsters, <laughs> he has the most star power. He's got the clout here. I mean, the next, I think the next most popular actor they had on that film was Jay Underwood, and he was the youngest actor. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I certainly didn't uh, recognize anybody. Yeah, well, uh, Alex, yeah. Alex Hyde White, I kind of recognized. But other than that, you're right. Everybody else. I don't think everybody else really got that much work. Alex Hyde White still, still, I think, acts and does guest appearances on pretty popular shows. Um, like CSI, Mad Men, I think. Like, but he's, he's still working. He's, I don't think he's ever gotten like a, a, a leading role past 1995, but, but I mean, like, I mean, you do with your career. Like, okay. So we'll go with first uh, opinions then. All right, let's spin this. Let's spin this to uh, 
to Skylar. And apologies, listeners, I forgot the microphone, so Skylar is over phone. Yeah, I'm just crappy as usual. It's not you, uh, it's the phone quality. It's not you, it's me. Fantastic Four, 1994. <sighs> yes, it's super bad, super cheesy, like in that B-movie type of way. But I just kept thinking to myself throughout this film, oh, wow, I've seen worse movies that were like trying. <laughs> and that's that's interesting because if this can be like, you know, watchable, quote unquote, uh, without giving it some production history, whereas the most recent Fantastic Four is just a black hole of everything good and joyful. I don't know. It says something for this movie, at least. Um, the characters of the Fantastic Four are non-existent. But for how silly and over-the-top it was, I actually appreciated that this is the one Fantastic Four movie that had a semi-decent doom in it. It had a great doom. I'm not going to lie. I mean, Joseph Culp is a very hammy actor, but that's what Doom is. We needed a little more ham with this, and that was, I think, the element that made this movie watchable. That and just the rampant silliness that was going on with all the effects and the uh, film, or excuse me, the thing prosthetics. Those were actually really great. (laughs) And read dating someone who is like a decade younger than him and it just can we do the math on that real quick okay yeah so reed is in college all right so he is anywhere between the age of 20 to 26 if he's getting a graduate program let's assume he's a genius which he is and getting his undergrad and this is like his junior year of college so let's call him 21 22 (laughs) yeah sue is what looks to be 14 years old Okay. I mean, women okay. women age faster than men do, so I'm just going to say that she there was no confirmed age on her. Johnny is like 18 after the 10-year gap, and I don't think it's any stretch to say that Johnny was 8 before the 10-year gap. So to say no. to say to say Sue is 14 at the beginning of the film, 10-year jump. She is now 24 and Reed with gray lines in his hair is now about 30-31. Does that fit the rule established by Parks and Rec? Half your age plus seven. Hold on. Hold on. 31 divided by two plus seven, 22.5. It does fit the rule. She is, the relationship is okay. It is not creepy. It is not creepy. Very close to being creepy. It's on the borderline, but it fits the rule. Now, worst okay, case scenario, get- it it falls just under the red line, but in best case scenario, like eighty percent of the time, it's gonna fall above or lean above the red line. That's if he's thirty-one. Yeah. If he's yeah. thirty-three, then we are sitting at twenty-three point five. Ah, we're getting close. This, so this all hinges on whether you believe he was twenty-one in the college sequence, because to me, he looked old as fuck. So I was assuming he was already a 30-year-old at that point. But, I mean, he was in college, so at most I would say undergrad. Like, I don't know. I don't think you're still doing lecture halls by doctorate. No. 
you're in <laughs> if if you're doing your doctorate, you're in front of the lecture hall. You're yeah. delivering the lecture. Yeah. And under like in graduate, you still might be in a lecture hall. Yeah. Yeah. But uh I was I'm still leaning on undergrad. Yeah, All right. Anyway, enough. so I think this passes. Anything else, Skyler? No, I'm good. Uh popcorn Michael. Okay. Uh the, I I secretly love this movie. Not like there's there's a bunch of cheesy old films that you can do without. I think this film would look so much better if it came out before Batman. If it came out before 1989, this would have looked like a really great attempt at a Fantastic Four film. But because it comes after Batman and right hot on the heels of the next Batman movie, which the film diff- like the film quality difference between this and Batman Forever is tremendous or almost literally any other film in the 90s um like, right. like the film stock looks like it was made in 1976 like that's just how old it looks with their stock and uh so i watched the documentary doomed you know the story of this movie and the whole purposes behind uh why it only got a million dollar budget that's it um and why like like nobody was told at the bottom level what the intentions of the film were to be, whereas everyone at the upper level knew the whole time that uh, this film was never supposed to be released. It was supposed to get made, but never released um, for legal purposes. In order to so hold on, what studio made this? Oh, New Horizon. Oh, that sounds right. New, is New Horizon a Fox company? You know, I don't think it is. Okay, so so Bert Eckiner, Eckiner, Eichner. Yeah, there we go. Eichinger, um, Eichinger. Yeah, Eichinger. He is the one who possesses the rights to Fantastic Four. All right, the executive producer, yep. right? And so he, right. he he contracts New Horizon to make the movie, um, and we'll dive into more detail with this later. But uh, like the whole purpose was. That he need in order to keep the rights in his possession, he needed them to make this movie super super fast. All right, so that he could have a big a big stay on the rights, so that he could potentially upsell it for more cash to a bigger uh, movie uh, studio. So that eventually happened with him selling it to Fox, uh, because he's like, I can only give you a million dollars because I want to make a profit off of this. <laughs> So anyway, um, we'll go to Popcorn Ben on opinions before I get into that more. For for a movie that's like the details of its production are it's like so cynically commercial, like we got to make this movie so that we can keep the rights so that we can make more money later. So it's it's a very cynical movie in that way, but it's surprisingly like actually good. It's earnest. It it has this like emotional core to it, and there's some heart and some charm, and it's terrible. Yeah, it's the writing is bad, and the special effects are not where they put their budget. The soundtrack is surprisingly good. Wow, I was blown away by the soundtrack. For, I was like, when the me and Tittle started, I was like, okay, this is you know they spent you know all their money getting a composer to write the theme, and then the composers. Spent more money out of pocket. 
They spent they like did. they spent like eight thousand extra dollars out of pocket because they In were an orchestra. Yeah, they were super excited about this project. Huh. This had to. This was by the way. This was the first big Marvel film. If, huh. if you think about it. Yeah, That's I suppose. True. Howard the Duck was the only other fil- film to come <laughs> before this. Captain America 1990 was the only other f- uh, feature film to come before this. And that didn't do well. So, like, this was supposed to be the big Marvel breakout. In their we'll eyes. In their eyes. In the actor, yeah. the director, the writers, the casting directors. In all of their eyes, that's what this was supposed to be. And if anything... Mm-hmm warranted a lawsuit i would say it's the composers using their own out-of-pocket money for a project that never gonna be seen okay well i don't know they didn't they weren't they didn't weren't told to spend out of pocket and they didn't need to they were getting paid to produce half-ass work um if they (laughs) wanted to but they didn't so so it's 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 legitimately good i it, it's terrible, but it's good mm-hmm. in like a B movie sort of way, but not like a let's make fun of this because it's so terrible. Yeah, it's not even that. It's, it's it's terrible based on like like their resources. It's it's terrible in that it's so clearly a you know flesh and bone yeah. budget, Skin rushed, and bone. yeah, rushed production, rushed post production. Um, there, no, no money. There were a couple times when like. I forget exactly what happens, but like the thing punches someone and it's like exactly the same shot, <laughs> like three different times in this one scene. No, honestly, like every scene that involved them not using their powers, as long as it wasn't Jay. I mean, I, I actually, I'll take this to this point. Joseph Culp, great Dr. Doom, honestly. Mm-hmm. Alex Hyde, Alex Hyde White, I believe, plays Reed Richards. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, still the best actor to play Reed Richards. Over Iowan McGruffid and of course Miles Teller. But I'm um, I'm I think his performance was one of the most solid. And when you hear him just talk, you're like, that's how Reed Richards would talk. Like that's just the guy. That's yeah. him. Yeah. He's honestly like like he was this Tony Stark, Robert Downey Jr. amalgam before our time. He was just so perfect for that role. I think he was great. He was just given really, you know, really rushed lines and uh nothing much to work with. <laughs> But I think the the crew still had chemistry. Him and Ben still had chemistry. Yeah, they they all gave great performances, and it's just a nice little movie that unfortunately got too little of a budget. Don't get ahead of yourself. I wouldn't call Jay Underwood's performance great as the Human Torch. Did I say all? Yeah, I meant select m- most, some select, most. a few. Look at me. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's clobbering down. No, there there were enough good performances. That I was like, this is nice. Yeah. This is, this is there's nice. there's some definitely um, ham-fisted lines in there. It's clobbering time, and then when they come, and he doesn't actually hit anyone after he says that, and later he goes, "It's clobbering time for real." I know. I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> our listeners can't see it, but I just buried my face into my hands. <laughs> and then, and then, like, <laughs> even, um, even in the, even in the movie, the the documentary, Joseph Culp comments about how he watched. The the post uh, effect where at the end of the film that giant rubbery arm comes out of <laughs> that's the, the best limo. part <laughs> and just starts waving and he goes oh I don't know if uh, we should keep with that one 
<laughs> That's my Joseph Culp impression. <laughs> that was actually my favorite part of the movie. Because <laughs> it was just so sample. silly looking. Yeah. <laughs> it was like this silly putty <laughs> flopping around. <laughs> just obviously like a stick. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's move on to the money, which there's not much to talk of. <laughs> oh, my God. No. <laughs> Fantastic Four was made for a production budget of. One million dollars, which, if I do the math here quick, oh, like yeah. a move, by today's standard would be one point seven million. Oh, so, well, so it's pretty similar. Yeah, <laughs> not not much. Can you imagine making a Fantastic Four film today on one point seven million dollars? No, Jesus, no! I can't even imagine them making, you know, some of these cheesy, schlocky. Straight to DVD horror movies on a million dollars. It's still, yeah, it's still just so low. Oh my gosh. And yet they had the money to like buy a set and get costumes. And pay people. Yeah. Maybe even feed them. Well, they, in the documentary, I will quote that endlessly. They're like, uh, they put out the cast, the, the, the lineups they say we're we're casting for a Fantastic Four film. There's going to be no, there's very little money, of course. Like that's how they phrased it. <laughs> um, and then, the, but they got thousands of headshots because you know, comic book fans. Fantastic Four. Come Fantastic been... Four. Let's get in there, right? And uh, I mean, comic books were, believe it or not, a bigger thing in the '90s. Uh, comic books themselves were a bigger thing in the '90s, I think. Whereas yeah. now, like, I don't think. Less people read comics, but more people know about the comic book characters than they yeah. did in the yes, 90s. Because the movies have taken off. Exactly. But in the 90s, I think more people read comics, just less people knew about the characters. So you had more di- you had more fans who were much deeper into the product, um, but you had like less people overall know about it. Whereas now... You, you like, and I- experts as opposed to many and... Yeah. yeah, and then, yeah. It's like, oh, I love comic books. You probably never read one. I hate to be the nerd to call you out on that because <laughs> it's very such a stereotypical nerd thing to do, and it makes it really me sick. Is. Yeah, so I won't. Um, but, yeah, it never got released, so no no, no, no profit, none. No no money. So what, what, what is uh, $0.1992 worth now? Zero. Zero point oh. seven. It was worth whatever Bert ended up selling the shit to Fox to uh, in 10 years after that point. Well, like like six or seven years because then they put it into production. Um, Oh, yeah. So, yeah, about seven later, he sold that for probably, I would guess, nine to whatever. whatever How much profit do you think? uh, How much profit did the first Fantastic Four film make? I think it ended up with about uh, 300 mil worldwide. 300 mil worldwide. And he maybe sold it for $95 million, the rights yeah. of the film. Yeah. I could see him selling yeah. it for $95 million. Um, that's huge. That's, that's high. a good return on your investment. Yeah, that's yeah. high. Though. I would say. That's super yeah. high. Like maybe $30 million. Like you would buy that. You would buy the rights to this product because you could still you could negotiate that way down. To be like, I still got to make the fucking movie. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Or maybe it was like paid off over a certain set of years or he reserved a certain set of returns from the profits of the film. Who knows? 
I'm not a I'm not a contract negotiator expert. All I know is yeah. he probably got more than the loss he made off of this film. For sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, they still paid for some of the actors to go to conventions, um, oh. but very few, very little. And they actually they actually said like, oh, well, you can't go to this convention, but we're actually going to ship the thing head. And that's going to be at the convention. <laughs> like the thing uh, prosthetic head. And hmm. they, yeah, they oh. only had one thing costume. Um, but they had two heads because they had one static head for when things had to like break and fall on it when he br- mm-hmm. broke through doors. Mm-hmm. And then they had another one that moved, of course. Yeah. Animatronic. Um, I bet that thing was just stanky by the end of shooting. Oh, yeah. I bet it was stanky after like 30 seconds of shooting. Yeah. <laughs> oh, um, my God. I forget who <laughs> I forget who played uh, Ben Grimm, but uh, like Michael Bailey Smith or something. But they had a different actor who was in the Thing costume. Um, and uh, the guy who played Ben Grimm was five inches taller than the dude in the Ben Grimm costume. And he was, like, way bigger. Like, way buffer. <laughs> so, like, when they did that small shrink moment where he's like, oh, no, I can't uh, fight you because you've got Alicia Masters in your clutch right now. And then he shrinks back into the Thing randomly. Yeah, but he actually goes becomes bigger as Ben Grimm. (laughs) (laughs) So dumb, (laughs) and then he morphs back into a smaller, rockier version of himself. (laughs) And then Mister Fantastic beats up everybody, and the screen just spins around. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Where they're they're like, "Well, we can't actually have a fight scene here. (laughs) Make it like Batman sixty six, and then make sound effects." punch 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 and then they're all on the ground and unconscious and i was like they're only going to do that once they did it again <laughs> the exact same effect yes yes they did like, it twice uh i have one comic book character to discuss um and uh <clears throat> that would be mole man from fantastic four number one in uh 1961, Stanley Jack Kirby, the debut of Fantastic Four. Uh, actually, Mole Man did not appear in this film. They did not have the rights to Mole Man. Um, huh. Because if you would believe it, three other Marvel projects were in production at the time that never made saw the light of day. Uh, Doctor Strange was in production, which I think they did make but changed the title of um, because they right. lost the rights mid-production. Um, Black Panther was in production starring Wesley Snipes. Okay. Um, and there was, I think, was a, it the James Cameron Spider Man? James Cameron Spider Man. It was also in production. They never saw yeah. the light of day. Hmm. Electro um, and Sandman. Yeah. So like, so they they said, oh no, you can't use Mole Man because we only gave you Fantastic Four and Doctor Doom. Like that's mm-hmm. it. Mole Man, saying that you had Mole Man is just, then we get into the legal battle of, oh, do you now claim the rights of every character that has premiered in a Fantastic Four comic book? Um, Because that would include Black Panther uh, and like Silver Surfer and stuff. So they said, okay, well, we're going to use the Mole Man character, but we're just going to call him the Jeweler. The Jeweler. Sure. Basically the same thing. Uh, so anyway, let's talk about this. Fantastic Four um, slash Marvel uh, Timely's first runaway hit. Mole Man is a classic villain. Harvey Elder was born a dwarfish and frankly uh, never got over it uh, and was an ass to everyone. But, you know, 
when you're born like that. He was also very lovesick. So he, you know, women didn't like him. I can, I can relate, man. Because <laughs> no. you're short and single. That's right. That's exactly right. Um, I live underground. Well, and yeah, I have poor eyesight. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and I have a group. No one of, strives to be mole man. I, I don't strive to be. You just wake up and somehow you are. <laughs> <laughs> and and you're you're pale and wrinkly. That's exactly yeah, right. Um, <laughs> somehow you just decided to use welding glasses as a fucking fashion sense. All right. Um, and Doctor Octopus should exchange notes. <laughs> he does one of the same thing. Uh, however, it drove him to be a brilliant nuclear engineer. He was also a crackpot theorist and that there was um, believing there was a vast network of caves and tunnels under the surface of the earth, like a hollow earth theory. Um, while exploring, he found uh, both lands called Monster Isle, which was just like this like old evil long dead super villain race something. I don't know. Land of monsters. And then he also found Subterrenia or Subterrena. I don't know how to pronounce it which is the vast underground network of caves and tunnels. So he was right. He was right. Um, he gazed on some diamonds, and it permanently uh, harmed his vision. Did he then replace the diamonds with man-made ones? <laughs> <laughs> the diamonds, that was, the crystals man-made. That was my favorite line. Sidetrack. That was my favorite line in the movie, where they switched <laughs> the crystal for a synthetic one that like clearly looks different. Mm -hmm. And like, I'm a smart guy. <laughs> Like, I know what's going on. And then in the next shot, he just, like, basically, like, looks directly at the camera and is like, did you see what I just did? That's <laughs> All right. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Very good. All right. So uh, so he uses his after. So now he's got to wear these goggles for his vision. Um, but he's got, like, super great hearing in other senses, like Daredevil now. Uh, using his genius, he was able to create a device that could, that could control the monsters of Monster's Isle. Um, and then as well as uh, somewhat mindless goblin-like creatures of Subterranea called Moloids. He harbors a deep hatred for the surface world and how they shunned him for his appearance, so he enacts various plots of revenge, and he's just kind of one of those lame villains, you know? He, in one of those plots involved, like, sinking every national monument into Subterranea and being like, this is the world now. You have to come down here to see your cool shit. Uh, basically holding New York's, um, like, a Statue of Liberty hostage, you know, by sinking Sweet it underground. Dude. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, and that's just how his progression, no matter how much progression he goes through, he reforms at one point, but then he eventually reverts back to his original form of angry short man and uses his underground stuff to fight heroes. And never becoming really less intimidating than he is. Yeah. Um, but I can certainly interject and talk more about the Doomed documentary because I think that's what's important. That's where the real history of this film comes in. The, the film itself is not that interesting. How it came to be is super interesting. Yes. Because it's it's such a it's 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 such a burn to the people that made it. To like not tell them what was going on because they tried so hard. They put all their because it's they when you when you have comic book fans and then you give them a chance to put their favorite comic book character on film, like oh my god, they're gonna be so earnest about it. 
<laughs> they're going to put everything they have into it. And if you give them limited resources, they're just going to work with it best they can. Um, and so like the film got made and there's so many great stories about the director and the, and the post-production people talking about how like we were, we were given no schedule for post-production, none. Like we were sneaking editing this film into editing our other, other projects. Um, uh, And then like, but the thing is uh, Roger Cornyn, was knew exactly i think he knew but also didn't know at the same time they say in the they say in the documentary one guy says like i think the only person that knew what was happening the whole entire time was avi arad <laughs> oh that fucking guy <laughs> and, and i'm like oh skylar will love that line uh, <laughs> that fucking guy and then uh because um the director's like, okay, for to Bert Eichner's credit, he did send me up to his place and he sat me down for lunch one time and told me everything about the whole plan of the purpose of the film and like all everything he knew at the time. And then um, uh, Roger Cornyn, like I think, had a limited idea of what was going on. And because he knew everybody involved in the project, he eventually threw them bones. Uh, like he gave, he, uh, uh, I think Bert gave the director a, a much a very good film to film in Poland, um, where he's from. So, like, that's that was really nice of him. And uh, the very next film that Alex Hyde White got was a he was a lead in. Um, oh. So I don't think it really burned anyone's career uh, because nobody saw the film. It's just the they were like uh, they were like we can't put this on our resumes. Because that's what you are in Hollywood. Like, you get paid, right? But the only way you get your next job is by showing how good your last job was. And if you say, oh, yeah, we made a Fantastic Four movie. Oh, great. Let's see it. Oh, no. wait. (laughs) We don't have it. Cricket. Oh, so you didn't make it. No, we made it. We just don't have it. Because nobody had a copy of this film. None. Actually, what the story is, and this is rumored, that Avi Arad bought the only, like, he bought out um the nobody it was never went to distribution and there was only one copy so he bought it out and he burnt he burned it that's what that's what he said whatever um and like even alex hadwatt's like you didn't burn it (laughs) i don't think you burned it um but like like, when when they were doing dubbing i think they said that like some guys made distribution like made copies during the dubbing process and you know, just sneaked it in, just sneaked up, a, and then you know, handed one off to the, the to the post, and then kept one or two for themselves, and then they sort of distribute that among friends, and that's how we're able to still get the film, right? Uh, because there was, I mean, there's 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 not countless, but there's a tons of other Marvel projects in the time that were shot, were made, were shot, but like they didn't see the light of day, at all. Nobody snuck I, them out. We listed three other examples. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just love the story about Avi Arad because once again here he is being the destroyer of art. <laughs> that is all he is. He just lives to destroy shit. Well, I mean, and to be on, to be fair to Avi, the guy is interested in making money, and he what he does is is he he floats up if a project's going to be good, and then invests fully into it. Or if he knows a project's gonna be bad, he burns the fucking ground with it. <laughs> so like it's this divergence because Avi was big into the X Men cartoon. He invested heavily into the X Men '90s cartoon because it was selling a ton of toys. But at the same yeah, time, it was. He... But at the same time, it was also a very good cartoon. 
Like it was great for right. kids. It was great for adults. And like, I can't imagine that he had zero to do with that. All right. Um, and then uh, like, that's the same thing you did with Spider-Man, the movie. Right. And so like this movie, uh, the fantastic four, he burned the ground with, it's just one of those things. And he was just, he's just a, like those ruthless level businessman. He knows when a project's good and then he puts money into it and then he, you know, makes money where the money is good in films and that's products. <laughs> yep. And then yeah, so and then moves on to the next failed. project. And and I'm not going to say he's a great dude. I'd never met the guy, but I'm going to say that the guy knew where the money was and that's what he focused on. Yeah. And is it wrong? Subjective. To some, the destroyer yes. Destroyer of art. So, yeah. All right. I'm I'm willing to be a bit more lenient, but you're welcome to not be. I say he's a good person because he makes money, <laughs> and we live in a capitalist society. That's what I mean. The society so dictates that he's just doing what he thinks is best. Yeah, but in in a way, he is being a dick about but yeah, it. Yeah, he is, he is destroying perfectly good art. Yeah, so uh, that's a whole other ethical debate for another time. Um. But I just, I honestly kind of just want to watch more of Alex Hyde White. Like, I was just super impressed with that guy's performance. Uh, let's move on to the music. <laughs> Since I've just, I'll interject here and there with what I learned from the documentary because it was extremely fascinating. Uh, yeah, I, I learned about the whole uh, composers financing their own soundtrack, which is really depressing. Uh, music for The Fantastic Four is done by David and Eric Wurst. Never heard of David Wurst. Eric Wurst has a uh, filmography that consists mostly of like really cheesy Steven Seagal movies in the 90s. Yes. And then right around the uh, mid 2000s, he switched almost exclusively to like straight to DVD Lego kids movies and stuff. Okay. So it was a little bit of a jump there. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, it's kind of the same quality, different audience. Yeah. <laughs> Right, exactly. Little uh, Steven Seagal fans in training. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, that's harsh. <laughs> I wouldn't wish that upon anyone's child. And my dad was know. a Steven Seagal fan. <laughs> oh. So, uh, got one track because, as it turns out, if your film is never released, your soundtrack certainly is never going to have been released either. Uh, but someone was able to get a recording of the main titles for the the Fantastic Four. And as we've said so far in this podcast, the score to this movie is actually pretty solid. The main title, you'll get a taste of that, and then after that we'll just uh, discuss more of our favorite moments, I guess.
you could tell these guys were trying. Yeah. They were putting their heart and soul into it. They believed it. That's just believed a, in it. Oh, man, I honestly got a little bit of chills because I was like, that's real good. There's a lot of movies where we're like, hey, I bet you can't hum the theme the day after you watch the movie. This one you can. Yeah. This, that's, oh, man. I kind of wish that, like, the next Fantastic Four film pays just, homage. Is ju- no, it's a straight remake. It's a straight remake. With, like, you know, it, higher quality production and a better script. Of course. But. They might actually get a good Fantastic Four movie that way. Or, you know what? How about the next one just doesn't have Doctor Doom? How about that? Yeah. How about uh, we go one out of five total Fantastic Four films <laughs> at that point without Doctor Doom as a villain? Because that'll be four I, I, in a fucking row. Does any other superhero franchise rotate a villain as much as Doctor Doom gets rotated? Only closest one is probably Lex Luthor, but even they didn't go four in a row. Lex, well, no, they they went one, two, four. Back, back. Okay. The Avengers have been the villains in every Avengers movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. They though. show up, they destroy everything. And that's a plot point of Spider Man Homecoming. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, a, I might watch it now. Yeah, see, it's a kind of a big deal. Oh. Uh, it's kind of one of the villains' big motivators. Anyway, uh, I'll oh, yeah. cut that out because that's. Anyway, the dinner right. The music is so good. It's so good. Oh, like. Honestly, you could make an argument that this is the best Fantastic Four film we've had to date. I would agree. I would also agree. Now, I don't know. The 2005 version definitely had some better family moments and obviously a better production moment. value. It de- it definitely had its moments. Um, but like you just see the heart and soul in this one and you just you just feel and when you get the backstory behind it you just feel for these people because these are these are people who are essentially teachers because they are they are doing a lot more than they're paid to do <laughs> they're, right they're putting it's a like lot this, more extra work in this film has like such limited resources but everyone is like pulling for it putting those extra hours in and then you Fast forward 10 years and it's like, you had a movie that got the world at its fingertips, can do, you know, whatever it needs to. And it's kind of like, eh, okay, make it, a movie, I guess. It, and, you know, it's it's astounding. It's a 20-year-old film is better. Or, um, yeah, 20 years old? 22? 22. Yeah, 20, 23. 23 years old film is better than the one that came out just the other year. Yep. Oh, well, Easily. Easily uh, better. Easily. Yeah, <laughs> easily. But that's like, you know, bottom of the barrel. And that's, well, that's just so unfortunate. You think that the craft would evolve, the 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 franchise would evolve, but like Fantastic Four can't catch a fucking break. They just need, <laughs> the, the best. they should have got Avi Arad to produce the newest Fantastic Four movie because then he would have just driven into the ground but not told anybody that's what he was doing and people would have actually. It, well, it would have tried to make a shit ton on toys. I think that's what they did. <laughs> I think or, they, they I, did that's actually the like, earth of that one. I guess, yeah. Uh, after after Josh Trank's implosion, they scorched the earth with it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I forgot about really that. Um, but uh, I th- well, I'm trying to think of the best multimedia adaptation we have ever had of, tr- of Fantastic Four so far. 
And I want to say, because they've had four different TV shows. They've had four movies. Um, They've had one or two video games. I think both of the, the... the Tim Story movies got turned into yeah, games. Yeah, movie tie-ins. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I don't think they have a motion comic or anything, but I want to say, of the things I've seen, Fantastic Four World's Greatest Heroes might be the winner. I think it was... Am, yeah? For me, it's probably the 94 series, just because, yes, it is also not terribly great, but it does have good things going on with it. Did you mean 94 series uh, season one or season two? Because they are drastically different. Ooh, uh, whatever the good one is. Season two. Season okay. one, Johnny Storm has a rap scene where he just starts rapping a current rap song that I like had to look up. I'm like, is like, what? Why? Who? When? This and like they didn't move his lips during the rap scene, so it was really weird because it was it suddenly okay, yeah, just turned into a recorded track. <clears throat> that's really bad. Yeah, no, but no. If you haven't seen Fantastic Four: World's Greatest Heroes, that's the best cartoon. It kind of and like it's it's series finale is honestly just so heartwarming because like it it's and I'll spoil this. I don't even care. Of of like it's so. It's not a big build-up plot. It's just another villain coming to town and from outer space beating up the world. And Human Torch thing and Invisible Woman are doing their best to sort of damage control. And Reed's first plot to like fight it, his, his first scientific revelation, because that's what Reed does, is creates random devices. It's like The Flash before The Flash became a show. Um <laughs> Finds, finds random devices and solves it. And he's like, I can't, I can't fight this one. I don't know what to do. He's just going, I don't, I can't figure it out. Like, why are you guys still so upbeat? Like, I have no idea what I'm going to do. I have no idea how we can beat this thing. And they, all three of them say pretty much the same thing. And they turn to him. It's because, it's because you're Reed. You're Reed Richards. You're Mr. Fantastic. You get us out of everything. Because you're the greatest person ever. And I'm like, wow, what a family moment. <laughs> Holy cow. Like, how, like, not enough people watch this TV show. Also had yeah. a bitchin' theme song. <laughs> I might play it at the end if I haven't already played it in a movie. You know what? Just play it anyway. Yeah, I'll play it anyway. Just play it anyway. All right. If you want to stretch it, though, other best-ish uh, multimedia Fantastic Four Lego the Incredibles, Super the video game. <laughs> Marvel Superheroes, the video. Oh, The Incredibles. I'm sorry, The Incredibles wins. <laughs> oh, there I we go. Totally so. forgot about that. Do you have science, Ben? Nope. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for being here. <laughs> I, 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 it's not your fault. I come here to share. It's not your fault. Um, <laughs> there's, I mean, there's very little to go on to begin with. Okay, we've already talked about all their powers. Yep. We've already established that the effects are so low that they weren't even trying to establish anything. Yep. And I don't even remember any of the techno babble about Project Colossus in the beginning. Yep, me neither. And honestly, like it was just techno babble. Any person I couldn't make any sense of it. Any person could decipher that there is no truth to any of that. I would just like to remind our listeners and anyone, you know, as- any aspiring comic book and comic book movie writers Nothing goes faster than light. It just bears repeating. It, uh, I mean, well, that's just... You don't have to think like that. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna recommend a good book to you. What if we were wrong by Chuck Klosterman? That just involves. Oh, I love Klosterman. I know, right? That just have you read his latest one? No, I've I've read um, Eating the Dinosaur and then like another one. Probably Chuck Klosterman the Fourth or Sex Drugs and Cocoa Puffs. Sex Drugs and Cocoa Puffs. That's, that's the it. best one. Yeah. Right. Um, but anyway, the What If We're Wrong is just him talking about, and this will be our science section, is 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 him talking about how the greatest scientific breakthroughs were made because. Um, you defied rules. Yeah. You just said like, okay, even though this has been a hard fact scientific truth, it's no longer that because I figured yeah. out something different. So even if you're nine, he's like, even if you're 99% sure about something, you have to say it like that. Yeah. Otherwise you have no hope of discovering the next thing. If you continue to put yourself in this mindset of being able to predict the future by thinking that you know the past. Yeah. Or I'm sorry, using using the past to predict the future when that's never ever worked. Yeah. Cuz anybody who watched TV in the 50s could never have conceived the idea of the internet. Yeah. And we as people of the internet will never be able to conceive whatever the next be- best thing will be. Next big thing. So read read some Klosterman. Also read um, The Structure of Scientific Revolutions by Thomas S. Kuhn, Mm -hmm. which sounds like it takes some of those ideas and formalizes them in a philosophical framework that I just do not understand. I don't get it. That's what the philosophical... Also, vaccinate your children. (laughs) Vaccinate your fucking kids. If I... If any of our... Hey, no, no. Hey, phrasing. Vaccinate just your kids. And your fucking kids too, yeah, but especially if you have fucking kids, you know you, you should don't vaccinate, vaccinate them. them because there's a HPV vaccine. So then they can fuck and be like, "Hey, I don't got the HPV. <laughs> I got the vaccine." So <laughs> there's no vaccine for that for HPV. HPV? Yeah. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, I was gonna say someone in my yeah. family has HPV. I was like, shouldn't we have gotten vaccinated? Yeah. Or well, was that an old thing or a new thing? It's it's very new. Oh, okay. like we're. We're beyond the age where it would be effective, okay. unfortunately. Okay, that's what I'm like. Hold on, you're telling me my. But if you have like someone, this? if you have someone between the ages of like eight and thirteen, get them the fucking HPV vaccine. <laughs> like, and that is literally a fucking HPV. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Twitter challenge of the week. Um, send if, us tweets to your vaccinated kids. Yeah, no, 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 no tweet no. us. If you're an anti-vaxxer, tweet us your home address. No, 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 no. So that we can break down your door and say, hey, you're putting your kids in danger and other people's kids. What should be the next Fantastic Four villain? Oh, there we go. What should be the next Fantastic Four villain? I'm just going to tweet Dr. Doom. No, not Dr. Doom. Not Dr. Doom. Not Dr. Doom. Fuck Doctor Doom. Doctor Doom yeah. little. I mean, we've had we've had Galactus, Doom, Mole Man knockoff, and that's it. I was thinking we were gonna get Annihilus with this most recent one, and we did not. I was very hoping to get Annihilus. I would love if they went full comedy and put in Impossible Man and somehow made him villainous. Even though Impossible Man yeah. is just like it's like Batmite. He's just an imp that fucks shit up. For his fun and enjoyment. Yeah. Oh, God. But if they made him villainous, it'd been great. Ooh, the Submariner. Namor. I don't know who's got the rights to him nowadays. There was this whole thing about Universal still having it, but like that's a 20 year old deal. They haven't done anything with that. How long is that? Indefinite? 
So that's our that's our Twitter challenge. Yeah. See, talk to us more about these. Pitch, pitch us a Fantastic Four movie. Yeah, with oh. a new villain. There you go. Pitch us a new one. There we go. Because we don't want to get nice. another fucking origin story. We're nope. good. No we know where that. they came from. Everybody knows. Nobody wants a single origin story anymore. No one wants another Spider-Man origin story. All that didn't stop him. <laughs> okay. All right. So uh, that'll do today. I'm. Oh wait. No. Hold on. No, I gotta talk about the iTunes. Yeah, there's the iTunes. So if you like us, although you haven't said that we're recorded and produced, we're we're that. Okay, uh, so um, <laughs> yeah. we're on iTunes. Uh, so that's the best place to get our stuff, uh, unless you use another podcasting mm-hmm. thing. In which case, that's the best. But if you're at iTunes, we very much appreciate any ratings and reviewings mm-hmm. that you give us oh my god we still haven't said the twitter handle yet like we've been talking about twitter this whole time oh shit yeah we, we've got twitter as at super m study and yeah we've been talking about twitter so send us those uh pitches for the next fantastic four movie it's been a long grueling day gentlemen mm-hmm. and ladies that listen uh, that's the sound of me passing out. It's almost midnight. I know, and this is the sound of me preaching. We're pre-recording a lot of episodes. Yep. So that when I fly away, I'm getting stressed out. Yep. We're getting. It's finally hitting me. So this will be a small taste. Like you're gonna hear, you're gonna hear this episode. I don't know, in like three months, and you're like, Michael was really stressed out three months ago. <laughs> <laughs> And so that'll do it today, super fans. I'm your host, Michael Mauer. And I'm Ben. And we hope you have a super week. Witness me. It's clobbering time. For real. For real. I forget all the other silly quotes they had. Flame on. Uh, the Doom. That's pretty good. Good job. Keep calm, everyone. Don't panic. Flame on! What's happening? We're sinking into the center of the earth!